There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of Welfare. I'm Amy Lane and each week we break down the barriers to running so you can get more from your time in your trainers. I'm currently taking an extended break to learn how to juggle a toddler and a newborn, but that doesn't mean you have to rest up too. So I thought it would be handy to revisit some of our most loved and most listened to episodes from the past seasons. The advice and expertise is as useful today as it was back then. So prepare yourself for the cracking tips from the experts around the globe. Together, we'll help you reach your running goals this year. Today's episode is a rerun from season one, and it's a fabulous mix of expert advice and inspiring run chats, plus a 16-week guide tailored to support your marathon journey. So if you've started 2022 with that goal in mind, or if you are just keen to run for fun, then we are here to help you through. Keep up the good work, and when you start flagging, why not get involved in the Welfare Strava Club, or support each other from afar on Instagram? using the hashtag welfare. I hope you enjoy this episode and I really hope it helps you to keep going welfare this year. Welcome to Welfare, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and bruises, runners' highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. So put on your trainers, plug yourself in, let's get going. So guys, I am back, and I am so happy to be here with this bonus episode. I've got a serious spring in my step because... Do you know what, guys? I'm feeling great in body and mind after completing Paris Marathon. Many of you will know that I made the decision back in February that I was going to run Paris Marathon, not race it. In my heart, I knew it was the right thing to do. But when it came to race day, a wave of disappointment hit me because everyone around me was chugging on coffee and pinning on their numbers and chatting about goal times for the marathon. And the conversation kept coming around to me and what I was going to go for. As someone who wasn't gunning for sub four digits, I did feel a bit excluded and I kind of felt a little bit regretful that I hadn't trained for a time. And that's the honest truth. I was also still getting messages asking me what I was hoping to run and what wave I was in. And I just felt a bit like I wasn't part of the crew. And so I wanted to share that because I feel that actually during marathon training, it's a conversation which constantly comes up and it doesn't matter whether you're an elite runner or whether you are, you know, this is your first marathon. People always ask you about times. And even though I told myself I wasn't going to get caught up in the competition in that moment, I did. So what I did was I took myself off to the side of the room because I was feeling a bit meh and I just started to do my warm up. I closed my eyes, I took several deep breaths and I worked through the movements that I know make me feel good. And do you know what? 
when I opened them again, about seven minutes later, I just started laughing because amongst all the chaos of this room, what I'd managed to do was just kind of take myself out of that situation and just zone in on myself and really think about why I was there and what my intention was. I brought it back to me and that moment of calm was what turned that marathon around for me. I realised that I could have trained for a time, but the reason I hadn't trained for a time is because I had so many other things going on in life and that was totally fine. And it really didn't matter that I was with a crew of people that were going out and trying to run, you know, sub fours, sub 330s, because that was their intention. My intention of Paris was to come and just run and have a good time. So deciding to bring it back to me and my intention was what I then kept in mind as I got into my start pen. And it was what I kept playing over in my head the whole time through that marathon and so when it got tough and I felt like crying because let's be honest marathons are really tough and there was a couple of moments there was one at around 20k and there was one at around 30k that I just suddenly started going oh my god this feels so tough and last year at those moments I burst into tears but this year rather than bursting into tears I rolled my shoulders back and I just told myself what a good job I was doing I reminded myself that I'd been running for three hours at the kind of 30k point and that was bloody great. I reminded myself that I'd travelled all the way to Paris to run a marathon and that I was brave enough to show up on the, uh, the start line and I was just doing my best. And I reminded myself that not many people have the opportunity to run a marathon. And so I kind of had all of those positive conversations going on in my head and just, just kept them going whilst taking a massive deep breath because bursting into tears I knew would only increase my heart rate more and therefore make things tougher. Whereas taking deep breaths can help bring down the stress and make it easier. So that's what I focused on. I was also really, really conscious of my form at Paris Marathon. I know that when things get really tricky and tough, sometimes I just kind of go a bit kind of wild with um, <laughs> with my mind and my movement. And so I just do everything to power on through. But rather than doing that, I thought about keeping my ribs down. I thought about keeping my arms in tight. I thought about lifting my knees. I knew that by doing all of this, I was going to make the whole movement more effective and efficient, which, you know, makes it easier. So I ran with intent, but I also ran with kindness. And whilst doing this, I use that trick, which I've mentioned in my podcast before about focusing on what's going on around you rather than what's going on internally when it gets tough. So I just looked up and I, you know, rather than looking down at my watch and therefore looking at my feet, I looked at the beautiful trees around me in Paris. I looked at the buildings. I looked at other people running. Um, there wasn't that many fancy dress. I think Paris is far too chic for that. There was only a couple of people, but there was people with reasons pinned to the back of them of why they were running and I just took all of that in and it really really helped me keep going. I also said to myself that if I was just running by what felt good and suddenly it no longer felt good and I hit the wall then if I had to walk I would be walking through one of the most beautiful places and I had nowhere else I had to be that day so what did it matter if I then crossed the finish line at six hours? It really really didn't and then Something bonkers happened at 35k. I was still feeling okay and I was still smiling. Lo and behold, I came across the finish line 30 minutes faster than I thought I would. And I'd never set out to run that PB, but something that day worked for me. 
I don't know whether it was the positive talk, it was the managing the stress, it was the running by what felt good. I'm really, really not sure. But, you know, I got across that line and I was so surprised by my time. But it's not the time which I'm most proud of. It's the running by what felt good I'm most proud of. Because in my mind, I just don't think you can put a value on enjoyment. If I'd ran 20 minutes slower, would I have enjoyed the race any less? No, because I just wouldn't have been aware that I'd run 20 minutes slower until the end. My big intention was just to stay in the moment and enjoy it. And that's something which I try and like put across my whole life because you really, really can't get time back. And I'm also a massive advocate of not comparing our successes with others. Let's be honest, there's always going to be somebody who's fitter, faster and who's done more. But that is totally okay because that's their journey. And as long as we do the best for ourselves and we stick on our own journey, then I just think that's the best goal to have. And also, whilst you guys are running today, I think you should have this in your mind, that only around 1% of the world's population will ever run a lifetime. So if you make it to the end of that finish line today, guys, you are in the 1% crew. If you are setting off in London right now, let me suggest you commit to making yourself proud. If that's smashing the pace because that's the run for you, go for it. If it's running steady and stopping to high-five all the children supporting on the course, do it. Just enjoy today because you won't get it back and you might never get a place again so make yourself proud make the most of it and on the subject of making yourself proud and making the most of it I have the most amazing guest for this week's bonus episode and that is Dame Kelly Holmes I go running with her to talk about how she made her childhood Olympic dream a reality I've also got a really really great runner in the form of Emily Kerr of Twice the Health. She's in the studio and she's talking about how she hit her marathon goal this year and also why the heck she's training for a 100-kilometre run. So I hope that that provides you guys a little bit of light relief when the legs get heavy and a little bit of entertainment. So please, please do stay listening for that. But before we go, I just wanted to do a bit of a welfare wrap-up because it is so inspiring to see the stats of you guys around the world tuning in, listening to this show. So over the past 15 episodes, we have had more than 150,000 downloads, which is just bonkers. I just can't believe there's so many of you guys out there engaging with running and engaging with doing something which makes you feel good. So well done you. Of those 150,000 downloads, we have got listeners in more than 131 countries. There are people tuning in, obviously from the UK, but Namibia, Montenegro, Libya, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, France. It's just crazy about how big the welfare crew is getting. So thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. And please do chat to each other on social media. Use the hashtag welfare. That's how you can all find each other. And in fact, many of you have been doing that because there's more than 800 posts using hashtag welfare on social media. I will never forget the moment on the Paris Marathon course when I spotted somebody holding up a sign which said, go hashtag welfare crew. It was just amazing. So thank you for that. Right. I feel like you guys need some more inspiration. So I am going to say goodbye for now. Thank you for being so supportive and being part of this journey. I can't wait to be back later on in the year with another series for you guys. But until that happens, let's move on to this week's guests. Keep running, keep enjoying 
keep going well far. So guys, I'm in the studio today with Emily Keir, who is half of twice the health. Yeah. Does that make you half the health? A half the health, yeah, we'll go with that. Sadly, the other half is on holiday, sunning it up, so you just have me. But you are a great person to have in. Oh, thank you. Uh, so, Emily, you are obviously a bit of one of the kind of London runners, now going across the UK with your run clubs. Yep. Running is your thing. Yeah, and I think it's kind of always been our thing, quite often, like, when did you get into it. I've always been a runner and so was Hannah as well, the other the other half of health. Um, <laughs> and yeah, running's always been a massive part of, of our lives. I have a sister as well and anything she did, I wanted to do too. And she was good at running, so I wanted to be good at running. So I, I basically have her to thank um, and I wanted to beat her at everything. So <laughs> oh um, chasing after her for most of my childhood. And then I did fall out of love with running. I think everyone has that ups and downs with it and think you've experienced that yourself. <laughs> but yeah, it's something we always come back to. It gives me peace of mind. It's a great sort of bit of escapism as well. And did you and Hannah meet at school? No, so we didn't meet at university. We met okay. through a mutual friend at university, but we actually raced against each other through our childhood because, actually, I'm not sure what county, but she lives Reading Way and I was Cambridge. Um, so yeah, we both used to do 800, 1500 metres for our county. So we raced against each other. <laughs> oh, and so the competition actually joined forces yeah (laughs) and now we have a mutual goal (laughs) (laughs) so you said you've always been into running but when did that go from 1500 meters into running marathons because obviously you've just completed Paris Marathon but that's not your first one no so we've done three road marathons now which was uh, London 2015 London 2018 and Paris 2019 but also on top of that we've done quite a lot of trail running so we've done 11 marathon distances but only three official road marathons the mileage has definitely clocked up because yeah having been an 800 meter runner I thought going on any road run was like a proper mission we're joking about it the other day like I remember as like a 14 year old being like mum I'm going out on a run and I would literally run like half a mile down the road and come back and I'd be like whoa that was a really long way (laughs) because I would do like 400 meter intervals and that was it and then started getting a bit more into long distance running at university but even when Hannah and I first moved to London I signed us up for a 10k and for us that was it was a really long way. Anything over 5k was a really big challenge because we just ran as fast as we could, like for a short period of time. So learning how to sort of drop that ego and actually be able to accept you need to run slower to be able to go further was um was quite a task. And then we'd done a few half marathons, and then it was like 10, 12 weeks before London Marathon. Hannah told me that she managed to get us a place in the London Marathon. She rang me. She's like, "Great news." Some people have dropped out of a charity spot and I've got us two places in the London Marathon. And I was like, you know, the one, yeah, the one that's happening, like, not that long time. She was like, yeah, yeah, that one. So at this point, yeah, we were struggling with our 10Ks. and We had like 10 weeks to, to train up for that. So, yeah, it was more of a shock to the system and is how we got into long distance running. <laughs> <laughs> but something must have clicked because you've stayed in it. Yeah, I think for us as well, like with with the athletics background, we both had got massively obsessed with the clock and everything was about how fast can I go and I didn't even really care if I won a race. What I cared about was the time and I got so competitive with myself. Um, also, running on a track, it's just some massive stress on your body. I wasn't doing any strength training at that time because you were just a kid who loved running. Like, why would you? So shin splints, stress fractures, that all came along. And so it was almost through then injury and learning to love strength training. And when I came back into running, I realised how much the strength training had improved my running and then it kind of kind of went from there and I think I just 
came back to it with a whole different mindset of I want to see how far I can run or I want to see what I can go see on my run and that's where we sort of started with the trail running we ran the Grand Canyon rim to rim and things like that it was just where can we go with it and what can we see and what can we do and that was far more rewarding than obsessing over that little ticking clock in the corner (laughs) it's so funny isn't it because like I've definitely had those moments as well when I've chased times yeah and I look back on it and I'm like I can't remember any of that of that oh, race. Yep. <laughs> but I look back on Paris and I could tell I could probably tell you exactly what happened for every yep. one of those 42 kilometers. Exactly. And you bring so much more back from that when people they people are going to still ask your time annoyingly. It's the first quite even if they've never run a marathon they don't actually know what to do with that piece of information they're like I don't know if that's good or bad. They will still ask you but I'll always try and start off with what I'm answering with what I saw or like people I bumped into until they're like no 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 like your time but I think we just need to switch people around like why do you care what time I ran it in like how does that impact your your day really so it's kind of it's sad obviously we need a piece of measurement we love to measure things Mm. and obviously it's nice to have a time in your mind because you need to pace your run because it is a marathon not a sprint (laughs) as the quote goes and you do need to have a rough idea of of where you're heading with it but don't let that be the be all and end all of your run and do you have anything that when you're running on the marathon, do you have like a mental checklist that you do before you start or whilst you're running? How do you approach it? Yeah, I always just used to sort of throw myself at events. I think that was just from from running as a child. You just went, I just went straight into it. There was no thought process. And since um, meeting our friend Luke Taberski, he's a really interesting ultra runner or like adventurer, as he likes to call himself. Um, <laughs> he'll tell me off for saying ultra runner. And it was a time I met him and he started like, making us think about thinking about running a little bit more and thinking about the build-up to a race and imagining the start line and that has actually really helped with my nerves just to like so when you turn up on race day and it's not everything is new you may have just looked at it on google maps or something as simple as that but you recognize the surroundings and it just gives you something to sort of calm you down i don't tend to have too much of a checklist and things unless stuff starts to go wrong (laughs) if something hurts or i start to feel tired then i'll start to sort of have a little checklist or think about my breathing or my stride rate and just trying to get everything ticking over and more like a like get into a rhythm again mm. than a checklist. Because I reckon there's a lot of people that are listening right now who are probably on their kind of first or second mile and they are in the thick of the crowds <laughs> when you're trying to get out. How do you guys approach those first few miles of a marathon? They are really challenging because... Yeah. In your head, you're like, okay, this is the pace I want to go and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. But no, you might have someone dressed as Darth Vader cutting you up and <laughs> nearly tread on the back of his dress. Like, absolute nightmare. You don't want that to happen. So it is, it's going to be carnage at the beginning. You just have to accept that and it's not going to be the pace you want for the first two miles. Maybe you might even have to run a little bit faster to get through. Be aware and know that you've run a bit too fast and you might have to slow back somewhere else in your race. So just be really aware of the decisions you make early on or you might have to just run slower and accept that and enjoy it like look at all the people in fancy dress wave at the crowds high five all the kids that are sticking out their arm and just yeah really really embrace the madness <laughs> yeah it is mad isn't yeah. it <laughs> I don't think you quite realise until you've done one mm. about how mad the whole experience is yeah it's it's completely insane to have that many people with the same goal in mind but so many different reasons to do it so many different times they're going to run it in so many different outfits it's just it is a complete it's almost like a little circus it's amazing and then obviously moving on to kind of the midsection of the race do you do you do anything like do you mentally chop up a marathon into distances or not yeah it's it's 
weird because sometimes at the beginning we were sort of talking about in Paris that well it's 42 kilometers I don't know why I now start to think of stuff in kilometers instead of miles but I do <laughs> if they go past faster than a mile a mile is quite a long way so either we like to imagine it is yeah you have your first 12 kilometers and then you have three 10ks after that and then normally you get to like the last 5k and everyone's like it's just a park run and hundreds <laughs> of people do this every Saturday I can do this or sometimes I like to divide it up into 11k 11k 10k 10k so it depends on how it's going yeah <laughs> as to how I start to split it up but I normally do it by kilometers just because I find it personally it goes past faster <laughs> I did that this year because last year I didn't I just set out with 26 miles yeah. in front of me and I was like I have to run 26 miles and I'm point not two. yeah 26.2 <laughs> that is a good point and I don't even think I even registered the half yeah like I just had that I had to do this massive distance yeah. whereas this year I broke it up into yeah. a 12 10 10 10 yeah and suddenly I just felt it was so much more manageable when you were on the course oh and almost like say if one of those 10s was bad you're like this is I'm suffering but you know what that 10k is going to finish in 3k and I'm going to put it in a box I'm going to forget about it let's bring on this next 10k that last one didn't even happen or say you can cut it down even smaller into 5k's or whatever you want to or, or your miles but then yeah just treat each one as a completely separate run and once it's over you move on do you think having that awareness whilst you're running and thinking in that way is actually what's helped you run faster? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, as you said, it, it feels more achievable. It's not so daunting when you... <laughs> well, I mean, we all say it in our head. When you start, you see that first one mile marker and you're like, 25 miles to go! Yeah. Get that out of your head. Put it into those little boxes. And then see each of those, yeah, as, as your 10k runs or 12k runs. And then you can visualize that pace that you want to run for each of those instead of having this massive mountain of miles in front of you that seems really unachievable so guys if you're listening in and running (laughs) do i would suggest do that because it's quite easy to work out and like emily said you can if you have a bad 10k you just leave it behind yeah leave it behind (laughs) and move on to the next one obviously you were known as the girls who dress the same you're very identifiable (laughs) where did that all begin and why yeah, so the matching outfits, if those who didn't know, Hannah and I wear matching head to toe, we have matching backpacks. The only thing we don't actually match is our, our running shoes because your feet are so different. Um, but we try and go for the same colour. Um, but the matching outfits kind of started accidentally. We used to always train together and we started to record our workouts because we started our Twice the Health page in the lead up to the 2015 London Marathon. We wanted to document our like journey. Oh, okay. Um, so we started filming our workouts and once we wore really similar outfits, we're like, actually, that looks really nice on video that we almost look the same. Um, so then we bought one matching outfit and we did a video. We're like, that's really cool. <laughs> so then it kind of went from there. Obviously, it was slow progress to end up with an entire wardrobe of, of matching gym kit. Uh, but now we have, have an embarrassing amount of matching clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and who gets to choose? We what also live together, so uh, yeah, which is really sad. Um, <laughs> we're basically a non-married couple already. Yeah, so whoever gets up first, basically, will right. like shout through, be like, I'm wearing this. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> Makes the laundry much easier. And I could forget it's not socially acceptable at the age of 26. And Hannah and I will get on the tube and you'll see people look up and then look up again. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's, it's not normal. Or there'll be like two twins who are like four-year-olds in matching outfits. So you're like, yes, guys, <laughs> you know the style. Because <laughs> I obviously thought you were sisters. I did think you were sisters when I first yeah. met you both. Does that happen a lot? A lot. 
lot. And also people run up and go, oh my God, you're twins, the matching outfits. It's so cute. Like, no, we're just best friends. Or a lot of people do think we're a couple. We're not. <laughs> um, it's become our, like, our identity and we love it. We wouldn't, wouldn't change it. <laughs> no. When you're running, how do you do that together? Is it? Do you feed off each other? Like a, there is a little bit yeah, of competition. It's massively like- changed, I'd say, because I have a really long running stride and Hannah used to have a really short one. So she used to run just off my shoulder. Plus she has no idea where she's going ever. She can't read the map, bless her. Um, and couldn't point to the direction of home on most of our runs. So yeah, she always just used to run just off my shoulder and was super happy running there. And now recently she finds that really stressful, like in the last sort of two years that she actually prefers to run just in front of me because she likes to be able to see where she's going and she otherwise feels like she's falling behind. And so that's kind of just, yeah, changed recently. And I don't, I'm happy to run wherever I just shout directions at her. But um, I think we also have with the long distance runs you have good miles you have bad miles and on the whole we're quite lucky that it tends to be kind of the opposite so we just kind of keep each other going and it keeps that pace like ticking over yeah we always try and finish holding hand in hand so we finish line at the same time that's so nice because so many people start off on fitness journeys together not necessarily wearing the same clothes and living together (laughs) we took it extreme (laughs) but a lot of women do yeah, um, I think that's why people like our page. They look at it and they can see that, that, yes, that's me and my best friend and I want to go do that with my friend. Because running can be really isolating and especially training for a marathon. So many people are like, oh, well, every weekend my friends go to the pub and then I had to go and do a 16-mile training run and cry into my ice cream when I got back. <laughs> like, that's not the ideal weekend. So we started our TTH runners um, as a Saturday run club in the lead up to London Marathon last year and we started those in Richmond so we could run through the park and so many people came and they would stay for like two hours afterwards and we'll have a stretch and it created such a little community. I think it also teaches you don't have to go to the pub on the weekend to socialise with your friends. You can, I mean, don't have to run 18 miles, don't worry. But you can go and do something like active and and social at the same time and it, it doesn't have to be yeah running on your own every weekend <laughs> yeah do you think fitness is like has it changed your social circle oh massively I think even Hannah's boyfriend said the other day he was like is it just because I've entered this world they're definitely more ultra runners <laughs> and uh, I was like well we have probably just surrounded you with a, a load of runners but I was like no so many more people are taking on ultra marathons before like it was a handful of people and if someone said they were doing a marathon you're like are you insane now you probably know eight people in your office who are who are running the marathon or yeah fitness has, has massively changed and I think also the scale and the dream that people have around fitness for a lot of people it would just be I want to go to a spin class and now people want to go out and achieve something they want to hike a mountain they want to do an Ironman and I think people's dreams are now bigger in, in the fitness world. Because yours have got huge. You've just mentioned ultra marathons. (laughs) Yeah. So you've just come off the back of Paris Marathon. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you are now training for a 100k run. Yeah, yeah. A 100 kilometre run. It's um, called Race to the Stones. It's along one of the oldest trails in the UK. It's supposed to be beautiful. (laughs) I've heard good things. Um, And the other day when I was looking at the map, to put it in perspective, it's kind of like running from Reading to Swindon is basically the route, which had a little freak out when I looked at the route because I was like, it's quite a long way to drive, <laughs> let alone run. But um, no, I, it's again, we've got to change our mindset again because like, before it was going from track to half marathon, then it was half marathon to full marathon and now it's a full marathon to to 100 kilometres, which is just over two marathons. So yeah, it's a very long way and you've got to, again, you've got to have no ego going into this. You've got to, you've got to leave that at the door because otherwise it's mm. going to kick your ass (laughs) and how are you approaching it how are you approaching the getting slower 
Yeah, so getting slower is again the, the ego's got to be like, no, it's fine. We just got to got to be slower, otherwise we won't actually get to the end. Um, <laughs> it's difficult because you have to completely change your running style. Uh, as I said, I have a very long stride and quite a leapy, boundy runner. It's not very um, efficient, so don't try that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's bringing it back in, making the stride a little bit shorter, and yeah, just sort of getting comfortable with chatting, accepting you're going to be out there for like at least eleven hours. Um, <laughs> which is slightly daunting but the training as well is going to be a completely new experience for us we're working with Luke Taberski who I mentioned earlier and also our coach Brad so that'll be pairing our strength training alongside some serious mileage (laughs) when you do something like this does it then just take over your whole life or do you have a fitness life and a normal life or are they all one of the same thing that's a really good question. It's it's hard, I think, because so many of our friends now are runners, so it's very easy for it to, to not take over our lives. Because even if friends aren't training for as far, they'll come and join us probably for a bit of the run. And that can be a massive highlight of a long run, having a friend join you for a little bit, and it makes all the difference. So I think because we're so lucky that we do have such a a fitness bubble of a of a friendship group. No, but I can massively see for other people how it can quickly become very... Um, much your bubble and it completely takes over your life and I think you do need to be very aware of that even though it's something you can be super passionate about and you want to do you don't want to shut yourself out from from your friends and family and and your social life it should be something that should be all-encompassing and really rewarding you should get to the end and look back and obviously you have the bad training days but you want to look back at the overall experience be like that was epic and I didn't miss out on anything (laughs) oh that's such a good mindset to have and one of the other things which I noticed with you girls you are very much you seem very kind on your body When I say that, I mean that you see fitness as as a way to achieving things as not as a way to changing how you look. Yeah, like I think most of the time when I get annoyed with my body, it's when I can't do something. Like obviously we all look in the mirror and there's tiny bits you want to change. I'm not going to say like I look at myself and like, you are incredible. Like (laughs) I feel like you should. (laughs) And I'm not going to lie. Obviously there's always bits you're going to be like, oh, I wish that was a tiny bit different, but I'm not... I'm not going to hang up my day on that at all. And I get annoyed with my body is when it won't let me do things. And I think um, that's a much healthier way to look at at your body. It is an incredible instrument and you can do amazing things with it, but you have to look after it. If you keep drilling your body into the ground, it's going to give up. Like (laughs) You have to give back as much as it gives to you. So what have you been giving back to it this week after doing Paris Marathon? (laughs) I've done some short runs, actually, which has really helped, like getting just the blood going back around your body. It almost feels like the last thing you want to do is put on your trainers after a marathon. You're like, are you insane? But actually, like, take it super slow, even if it's a brisk walk. Like, Mm. just moving your body will make such a difference. Um, I would have said I would have a bath, but my bath currently is not running hot water. So sadly, that can't happen otherwise. And I'm just not keen on the ice bath situation. I know people love it. I just, I can't can't do it um but yeah just moving making sure I'm staying hydrated and and eating well it's really difficult because after a marathon all you want to do is just eat the chocolate and have the wine which do that I'm not saying don't do that but you also still need to make sure you're getting in your basic like diet you need to be getting in your your complex grains and loads of veggies loads of color and yeah a lot of water (laughs) yeah because I did the whole I had a lot of wine straight after the marathon and then I woke up (laughs) I was like oh Cote de Provence hit me and then I woke up on the Monday morning and I couldn't decide (laughs) what hurt more my head or my legs as yeah. the day went on but since then I've been doing the, the complex <laughs> grains the water the veggies I feel like I've brought it back yeah no definitely because it is your body is recovering so 
also a lot of people are like, oh, I've done all my marathon training while I was eating more food. I've done my marathon. I can just go back to like restrictive eating. No, you really can't. Like your body has just done an incredible thing. You've caused a lot of muscle damage mm. <laughs> by doing that. You've pushed your body so hard. You really need to care for it afterwards and let it recover properly. And even if you think you feel fine after like three days, do not go back in and beast a strength session or yeah. do a hit class or it is not ready. And you're just going to have a very slow recovery if you do that. Like, your central nervous system is very impressive, but also very fragile. And if you keep battering it, you'll just, you'll end up with some serious fatigue <laughs> that will take months to overcome. Yeah, and getting injured just is no, it's it's not, not worth, worth it. it. <laughs> not when you've come this far. So before we go, can you share one piece of advice to everyone listening in now who's running <laughs> and has got a lot more running to do? What would you like to share with them? keep sipping on that water it is something that I myself am awful at and I had to walk mile 25 in London Marathon because I got cramped so keep sipping don't gulp at the stations carry that little bottle of water with you for a few miles if you have to sip regularly and often you don't want to feel like a washing machine and down it at every station (laughs) (laughs) such a great tip well thank you so much for coming in obviously you guys are twice the health Mm -hmm. on Instagram is there anywhere else that everyone who's listening in once they find finally put their feet up (laughs) they can check in with you guys yeah twice the health on instagram facebook and twitter and on youtube and you can also join our run group on facebook which is called run with twice the health um and yeah tth runners is is our run club if you want to have a look at that too and that's london uh london manchester guildford and cambridge excellent thank you so much thank you so much for having us well me Okay, everyone, you asked me for a special bonus marathon episode. And so I have lined up something which I have been so excited about. I nearly kind of let the cat out of the bag many times on Instagram and on this podcast, but I didn't. So instead, I'm just going to introduce today's special guest who is going to accompany you on part of your marathon. It is the brilliant Dame Kelly Holmes. There's the caps. There's only three of us here. (laughs) I am so excited to be running with Dame Kelly today, who obviously you will know as the double Olympic gold medalist. She's also author of a new book called Running Life and has a podcast out, which I hope you guys will tune into because I've listened to a couple of episodes already. I've binge listen to them and it's called what do I do and so we're gonna set off on a very special chat and I hope that you guys are gonna enjoy this as much as I'm about to I'm, yes. so, I'm so eager we're, are you ready we've got to do this we've yes, got to do this, this. my local manor down in Tunbridge and Kent so I yeah. know the way <laughs> you guys are in London and we've decamped to Kent so Kelly for everyone that is listening in that is setting off on their marathon right this second who's freaking out because I'm sure they will be. Can you just offer them some words of encouragement right now? (laughs) I can. Well, firstly, congratulations for getting to the line. I mean, you know, it's so hard when you have that thought that you're going to do a marathon. It's such a big deal. But so many people would either love to be there, didn't get a place, or have got injured and haven't got there in time, or one day wish they can, and you're there. (laughs) So firstly, pat yourself on the back. It is a big deal. 
It's a long way, as we know. But you, at the end of the day, it's such a brilliant atmosphere. I mean, I did it in 2016. I had exactly the same nerves as everybody else. Did listening you? So, yeah. I, I'm not a long runner, not no. a long-distance runner. So, And everyone was saying to me, don't go off too fast. Don't go off too fast. Because if you go off too fast, you're going to pay the price. And I say, because at the beginning, when that gun goes, you get those people that the adrenaline is rushing so high into your head and you just feel so good and bouncy and excited once it goes, once you've got rid of all the nerves. <laughs> and then you realise, you look at your watch, and you're like, oh my God, I'm running like 30 seconds faster than I normally ever run in my life. <laughs> That's not a good place to be at. So just, <laughs> you know, it might feel good for two or three miles. There's a lot more to go. So just hold back. Let all the mad ones and the bananas rush past you and then settle. And just do what you've done in your training. Whatever you wanted to do before, just treat it like another training one. And how was your 2016 experience? Did you... <laughs> well, <laughs> so I put in my head that I was hoping I'd get three hours and 30, which would be quite a good run for me. Yeah. So it was pressure because I didn't want to let the charities down and all the people that had obviously sponsored me. So it did happen that way. I said that everybody had just gone, you know, like, and I saw all these people sprinting off at the sun, but oh my gosh, you're either absolutely excellent or I'm going to see you in about five miles down the road. Guaranteed, <laughs> all those people, I saw, saw them. five miles down the road, road. People asked me, do I wear headphones? And I did on my mouthing, but I had these things that are called bone conductors, so I could hear the crowd, right. but I didn't want to engage with it, let's say, because I wanted all of my energy to myself. And I actually ran 3.11. Oh, my God. I know. High five. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how did that come? I, I had no idea. But wow. I, didn't, I didn't hit the brick wall. You know, there's one, one guy that I met before said to me, there's no brick wall. There's only a brick wall if you run too fast for your capability, i.e. if you know what you've done in training and you've set your pace and you know that that is what you should be running to maintain that speed and get round stick to it if you mess it up you mess it up and do you know what he was so right if I because at eight miles I was bouncing and anyway this guy that I'd met before said Kelly you need to slow down and I was going why I feel really good and he said Kelly I'm telling you slow down and he said when you get to 18 miles if you still feel good that's okay because when I got to I have to say I got to 13 miles that was fine got to 15 miles fine 18 miles it's just a head thing you know because you think oh god I've still got six miles to go you can feel it on your hips and your we've got eight miles to go well, 18, 18, sorry. Yeah. 18 yeah so I can't add up amazing <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so I'm running and I'm thinking gosh you know and but the, the atmosphere at the side just lifts you you know and just felt I felt so good and I just loved the fact that I was achieving this thing that I'd never thought I'd do and that's what people got to remember. doesn't matter whether you're out there for two hours or five hours. At the end of the day, we're all going through the same motion of having to run 26 miles, you know. So we all go through those ups and downs, but it's such a big achievement. Do you think it's as much mental as it is physical? Without a doubt, anything that you do in life, and especially in sport, there's a lot to do with your your mental attitude, your resilience and your commitment to something and, you know, that belief that you can do it is a big thing because so many people 
when you come up to a big event or you're doing a thing, it's so easy to have a negative thought. But change that, change that into positives. Wow, look at that crowd. That Perkins dress, beautiful. I love those trainers. You know, try and change your mindset when you're doing something to actually not take you off of the little bits that you can easily step back into. Because your mind can be a powerful tool when you allow it to be. When you actually go, do you know what? I'm here. There's a lot of people that aren't. And I'm going to do this. And I tell you, that can take you a long way. Because you are very much a, a self-made self-starter woman aren't you like I've listened to this story which I loved on a different podcast about how when you was younger you got your first job and you were earning 12 pounds a week yep and at the time I don't think your mum had very much money but she really wanted a tumble dryer yes yes you, you decided that you were going to put £10 out of your £12 away each week yeah. and then buy her a tumble dryer for Christmas. Yeah, I did. And do you know what? The funny story about that was that... Um, so, yeah, I'm doing this paper round. I got my granddad, who lived next door. We were in a semi-detached house in the council estate. He used to jump over to his house, etc. And he used to take me down on a Saturday each week to put the £10 on. And then I get over a seat in the little park. I was so, so excited. And at that time, it was £200, the uh, tumble dryer. Oh, my God. So uh, you can imagine, right, at that age as well. <laughs> and, um, and so, anyway, by the time I got it, and I'd worked that out, that by Christmas, I could get it. So I had it delivered to his house. Christmas morning comes. My stepdad used to say, right, you can't go into the front room for any presents until... The dog's been walked. I've had a tea, blah, 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 all that. Oh, my anyway, God. That so is I said, I know. <laughs> so I said, OK, I'll go make the tea. I'll go make the tea. So I goes downstairs, obviously run round next door. My granddad's got a wheelbarrow. We've got managed to get the tumble dryer in the wheelbarrow. We're wheeling it round. And all you can hear is my mum saying, where's my tea? Where's my tea? Anyway, I'm coming in. We're getting this blooming tumble dryer, you know, I was only tiny, into the front room. I'd managed that my nan had brought me this big bow to put on it. I put it in the front room, didn't look at the presents, obviously. I didn't have those, but I didn't look under a tree. And then I took the, you know, the tea upstairs. And when I came down and my mum, my, my stepdad, uh, looked at it and my mum just burst out crying, you know, because it was such a nice thing to feel I could do something for, for them. Oh, I just love that story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, then, and then when it came to athletics, yeah. it wasn't like you were just handed that on a plate either. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty odd. It's nice when you've got... A, you know, when you really love something, can you really believe in it? I think that drives you as well, because especially if you love something and it feels like it becomes natural to you and you're good at it, then you can just think, oh, yeah, brilliant. And yeah, I started when I was 14, well, 12, actually, watched the Olympic Games, saw Sebastian Coe win gold in the 1500 metres, which I was running at the time when I was 12, gave me goosebumps and I was like, oh, I've got to do this. Really? I really want to be Olympic champion. So I went back to school, saw my best friends, Kerry Lama, Lara and Kim, and I said... I'm going to be Olympic champion. And they said, yeah, you probably are, because it's the only bloody thing you're good at. <laughs> you know, there's something, something about sport and, and athletics that just made me light up and just feel so good about myself. And sometimes you need your identity when you're younger to actually feel like you're part of something, and that kind of gave me it. 
And then that was it, yeah. My head was down and I went for the fluffy cloud. But, you know, yeah, it wasn't an easy ride as an international athlete, definitely not. Injuries are suck when you're trying to do something, especially in fitness. But I learned throughout my career that your body, again, is very resilient in its own way. And even if you can't run, you can still train. You've got to remember that if you're injured, that's fine. You can still train. You just have to not do something that's affecting that injury. So you get your cardio going, your strength going, your mind going. Well, I have to just say, we're down in this beautiful lake. Yeah. And we're just running past my mother's bench. Oh. So this is my mother's bench here. Is this yes. where you come to sit? Yeah, so sometimes on my... Instagram story, you'll see like a pan of this lake. <laughs> That's me sitting here. Were you guys really close? Yeah, I mean, my mum had me when she was 17, so quite young. You go through lots of ups and downs with parents anyway, don't you? Yeah. As we did, but yeah, it's not nice seeing anyone that's close to you, is it? Go through. So my mum had myeloma, uh, which is cancer of the blood and bone. But yeah, it's quite special. I think I need to refresh the flowers, though. <laughs> Don't tell <her> that. <laughs> they're, they're still lovely and bright and colourful, uh, Yeah, they're still lovely and bright. It's lovely that you're still so local. Yeah. You've gone I've off just... and you've done all of these things around the world, but this is always home. Yeah, I've lived here all my life, apart from being in the army and travelling, as you say, but... I, I suppose when you're so familiar with something, isn't it? Yeah. You know, not to say I would never move, but it just happens. Just feel... All my family are here, and yeah, it's what I know. I used to run around here for years, so since literally since I was 12. Really? This, yeah, this is where I've been running around. So here, and we have a, a athletics club at Tunbridge Boys School. Yeah. Uh, that was the club that I started running at. And that was, um, was, I think it was more cinder when I started. That's <laughs> 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 how I am. And there's a lovely fields and parks and everything. So, yeah, I'm very lucky where I live, you know. Uh, you know, and when you hear the birds and that, doesn't it make you feel good sometimes on a run, though? You know, yeah. you know we're talking about, like, how your brain feels. Yeah. You know, it's not just about the physical effect, is it, that running yeah. gives you. Sometimes it's that mental approach to actually go, do you know what, I can breathe. I can have me time. I can think about something. I can cry on the run. But just feeling good and sometimes when you get back from that run and you could have it could have hurt it could have you know been pouring hard you could have just been crying on the run but when you go back you feel like oh I did it and I think that's a really good stress buster and just yeah I sometimes talk about the fact that running's helped me deal with my problems rather than run away from them yes that's a great saying what you just said using it for feeling good about yourself or getting gains you know it could be to look good feel good lose weight have more energy you know get the head in gear because you've had a stressful uh, situation in your life whatever it is it can just empower you and make you think you know what give you a bit of perspective think about what how you feel and what you do and you say it's such a great social as well I've noticed running now it's brilliant isn't it have you found like a running community which isn't isn't athletes yeah I mean yeah I'm nowhere near that bit anymore with the athlete stuff so yeah I mean I love going to park runs oh do you yeah I love it I haven't been for a little bit this year because I had an Achilles problem, but um, I've got back into my running now. Yeah, I go to park runs. What I love about them is almost like the marathon, you know, different people, different backgrounds, uh, race, religions, sizes, age, men, women. It doesn't matter. I just feel like going to a park run, you've made that commitment. You know, nine o'clock on a Saturday morning, you've got yourself out of bed, no matter how heavy the Friday night was. Um, <laughs> and you've gone there. And it does not matter. If you want to walk, walk. If you want to sprint, sprint. Anything in between. 
brilliant. I don't train now running. I run just to do what we're doing oh, now. Do you know? you? So, I don't train for anything as such. See? So when I go to park run, I probably haven't run for I don't know how many weeks, maybe, just say. So I go there, start off all with the same intention, just to enjoy it. Then I look and I think, God, there's only two women in front of me. <laughs> and literally, I swear, I, my head is so competitive. So then I go for it. I literally think, right, that's it. And I start picking up. And then I think, oh my God, I'm actually going to be like first lady. Given I'm probably 20 years older than most people that are at the front there now anyway. Haven't trained, haven't warmed up because I've gone and done and said the hello bit. You know, and then... <laughs> and then I can't walk for four weeks because <laughs> I'm busting Achilles or something. I'd never learn. <laughs> oh, dear, it needs to switch off. A competitive edge needs to switch off sometimes. It needs to know when it's, you know. That's it's quite time. refreshing, though, to know that <laughs> even an Olympic runner knows all the things that they should do, but sometimes yeah. they just don't. Like practice what you're preaching, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm very good at giving advice. <laughs> do you think if you were to go back to athletics now, you'd do anything differently than you did in your 20s? Because now that you're a PT and you've got so much of your own knowledge these days, is there anything you're like, God, if I did that, if I did that differently, I might have got that gold first time round? Yeah, see, the thing is, because I had a 12-year international career, and my first Olympic Games I ever went to, I ended up getting a stress fracture. I yeah. got fourth, picked on the line. And um, the thing is, when, when I was an athlete uh, in those years, half of my 20s was still in the military anyway. Well, up to I was 27. So I was very strong. I was a very powerful athlete. I didn't care about or think about my opposition. I don't say don't care because I think you have to have respect for competitors because, of course, they're all there having given the hard work. But when you're yeah. an elite athlete, you have to have respect for yourself and, and your opposition to know that they wouldn't be there if they weren't good. So I was very strong and strong-minded, but I kept breaking down. And I tell you, my biggest learning curve, which is obviously too late for people possibly listening to this now, um, but was trainers because I was running with this brand of trainers for a long time like say four years into my first part of my international career then I ended up getting this new sponsorship and it kind of get blown away by people giving you kit and yeah. it's the same you know anyone these days especially Instagram and in your world you can get freebies to try out you know and trainers are the obvious thing for runners but I learned very quickly that trainers aren't just trainers your, everyone's body is so different everyone's foot plan is so different I'm a four foot runner I run quite on my four foot my heels hardly touch the ground some people are ground runners some pronate supernate but if you get a, a trainer that's not right for you it's the biggest cause of injury straight away and I remember being right at the top I was literally in the top three in the world by time could have probably won gold or silver in my first Olympic Games within one week of changing my trainers without even thinking that they were different. I didn't have no idea I got an injury, which was my stress fracture, within that week of transition. Because all I did is went straight into those brand new trainers, thinking, oh, you know, it's brilliant. You know, got, they look great. There's big brand. And no, wrong thing. And that was my biggest lesson back then wow. that I would have wished I'd known more. And what's brilliant about these days is there's so much information out there. Was it like you were kind of just fed the information from your coach and your team, but 
Yeah, there no. wasn't that much. There wasn't knowledge about all of that, really. I mean, of course, people in the in those manufacturing things would have probably known. But if you're quite sort of, it's only about performance. Don't really think about the little detail. You know, it's like people be listening to us now. Have you had the little drink that you were meant to have? Or did you run past that water station? Wake up to what you're doing right now. <laughs> right, go. Think you, about it, think about it. Look, you watch. I can imagine. Do you do that kind of positive self-talk to yourself? Yep. Yeah. I have, this, <laughs> I have this thing. I did this interview with Guardian and they were saying to me, what do you do to, you know, have you got any superstitions or what do you do? And I said, I sometimes sit in my car and if I've just thought of an idea or... I've just um, done something that I think, oh, oh my God, I'm really pleased. And, oh, I'm getting goosebumps. And, you know, yeah, I shout in the, m- the little mirror, come on, like this. And, um, and I think some people must think, if they ever saw me doing that, they must think, God, you're mad. You know, I literally I go, say- come on. But the thing is, how it all came about was because at the Olympics in 2004, so imagine a big stadium, 80 to 100,000 seater, massive stadium. Outside of that is a normal track. A warm-up track where all the athletic competitors go from all over the world getting ready for their events, heats, semi-finals, whatever it may be. So you have this process which is called first call, second call. First call is where they call you up an amount of time before your event, check you in, make sure you're there. But the second one is the last chance of going to Portaloo. Now I'm sure before the marathon, there's all these people queuing up to all these long Portaloo yeah. lines, right? <laughs> Hoping that he's going to hurry up before you get on the start line and hoping there's still Lou Roll left. <laughs> Should have bought your own Lou Roll. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, we go under Portaloos, 10 of them. For my heats and semi-final of the 8 and the 1500, I used Portaloo number one. There was 10. So now it becomes the thing that I have to do the same routine, of course. I get there for the final of the 1500 metres. Somebody is in... Portaloo number one. They're calling the women's 1500 metre finalists to queue up to go out into the stadium. I'm thinking, I'm not going to any other one that was all empty. I have to go in number one. That's my lucky so loo. So I knocked on the door. I just went, sorry. Went in, obviously, went to the loo. And there's this little mirror on the door. You know, some of the portaloos yeah. have a little mirror. And I looked in there, and just before I went out to the 1500 metre final, I went, come on! Like this, in that mirror. And that was my thing. <laughs> and then I went and won. Oh. The gold medal. A dream since I was 14 years old. It took me 20 years. It's never too late. It's never too late. It, was it enough then when you won that? I'd never thought of retiring. You know, when people say to you, oh, is that it? Or you must be, whatever. Do you know what? When you're in the zone, all you are thinking about and your life and the journey is consumed with doing that one thing. That's when you know yeah. you've got a real goal. Something's in your heart and your head and you actually want it so bad. That's all you think about. It's like people, anyone's lifestyle, getting ready for their first ever 5K. And actually, I bet you that week, two weeks before, all they can think about, even though they're going to work, they've got the kids, is that 5K. Okay. Yeah. That's your zone. Exactly the same, just a different level. And I never thought about retiring because I never knew I was going to achieve what I did. You know, I tried for 12 years. I'd medalled, had tw- uh, 10 medals from Commonwealth, Europeans, World and Olympics before that. Um, so I just went back into normal routine. But it was the first year in seven that I'd never had an injury problem. I'd had a really bad 
Um, set back in 2003 with depression, self-harm. I talk about mental health quite a lot now. I had that journey. shouldn't define you, but sometimes gives you tools to help in situations. But So I knew that that year I, I'd given everything. Everything I could ever give to myself. My sleeping, my eating, my training habits, my team around me. I knew that the only thing letting me down was actually my body and my health. And if I could do everything that an elite athlete should do, I would be okay. And that year I had no injuries in 2004 and a great team behind me. All I'd wanted since I was 14 was to be in the army as a physical training instructor and to be Olympic champion. I joined the army when I was 17, just before my 18th birthday. I became a physical training instructor when I was 21. And I won two goals when I was 34. How do you then think you've, you've made a plan for the rest of your life? You don't. No. Did you then find your mental health suffered again because yeah. you didn't have a plan? Absolutely. Because it's horrible having that unknown about your destiny and who you actually are, what you want to do in life. And I think so many people come to that at different stages in their life. It's actually very unnerving. You feel like you're losing your identity, your sense of purpose. And I had that quite bad, especially in 2006. I retired at the end of 2005 after I got an injury again. And had no idea who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And that was quite hard. I actually became national school sports champion for three years under Gordon Brown's government. And I ended up flying around schools trying to inspire kids. And then I set up my own charity, the Dame Kelly Holmes Trust in 2008, which is still going 11 years later, helping disadvantaged young people in areas of deprivation, learn how to have resilience and skills to cope with life. And we use sports people as their mentors. So I've done some great things. But I think sometimes you still, you still can go through life, even though you seem like you've succeeded in all sides of it. Still wanting more. Yeah. And I still want more. <laughs> <laughs> I still want more, you know. I've been made a colonel of the Royal Army Corps. It's a post that was a change in home of policy and signed off by the Queen because I'm the only male or female to ever be given a role like that in a reserve. Uh, not in a reserve unit, so in a regular unit. It's the head of the Royal Armour Corps. And, um, you know, he still can look at life and go, he's a brilliant, so honoured, love it. But what is it that's going to make me personally tick? You get involved with so many things yeah. that you don't then find your own niche. And I need to find who I am again, you know what I mean? Like yeah. exactly what I want. So I know military and running fitness, no one's got that in terms of somebody that I has achieved like I have. So I've got that difference. Mental health for me is so important. What, Stopping the stigmatism. What made you speak up about the times that you went through? Well, in 2005, I wrote my autobiography called Black, White and Gold. And I had to make a decision on how did I want that book to be portrayed? And what, what did I want from people to get from me? And I didn't want it to just to be about elite athletics and running around the track and whatever, because that wasn't just me. I thought that it would be more empowering to actually say what it took to become that person, to become a double Olympic champion, to achieve your dreams after so long, to fight through things and not give up. And I felt that was more that if I said actually the truth was, do you know what, it's bloody hard. You know, this is a women's health part I had 
five operations on got any little problems through my career. I had seven years of injuries, had glandular fever, tonsillitis, and in 2003 I said I had really bad depression. Started the process of self-harming. I was in like a black hole, wanting to jump in, close up and go. And when you're in that space, it's not pretty and it's not nice. And I felt that actually me explaining that to show I'm not a superhuman, you know. I did do that, which most people go, oh my God, and it is brilliant. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be the person that did it. But equally, it's more important for me to say to the message that it's because I had that determination and the commitment and resilience and I didn't want to give up on my dream. And I believed in it so much that actually it can help other people and inspire to do their thing. Oh, so I thought I'd do it. Then no one was talking about it, you know? I was, was going to say, at the time, obviously, did people find it much easier when you spoke about the kind of the physical health yeah. challenges that you'd been through yeah. than your mental health? Was it almost like the conversation was shut down or were people yeah. open to it in camp? No, I mean, didn't talk to anyone about it during my athletics career because there wasn't a place to talk, you know, so I kept it all in. And I got worst time in 2003. I still had a world, world championships to go for. And I was really at rock bottom and I still won a silver medal at the World Championships. And that was my thing, is like, well, if I can go through this and be dealing with this, I know I can be Olympic champion. That was almost my positive. I think you always have to find a, a positive out of a, a helpless sometimes. Yeah. Even though it's hard, you have to. It was only when I went on loose swimming in 2017 when I actually was talking about it again. And they were going, oh my gosh. Well, and I said, no, I said, I've been talking about this at that time for 14 years. It's something I always talk about. I said, but the difference is people are listening, people are yeah. accepting, people are understanding. And we have to keep that momentum going because it's so much better than it ever has been. And that's why I want to be an advocate for that. I want to push for people to realise that there's light at the end of any tunnel. And is that what led you to launch your new podcast series? Because obviously you've got a, a brilliant and very well-known collection of faces there <laughs> talking about mental health. Yeah. I think what I wanted to do with this was, I think because of how I felt that people thought about me, like having been double limb jumping, how could you have gone through that? I thought, you know what? Most of us have had something that has gone in in life, whether you know of someone or you've gone through an issue. So you could have gone through, like I did 2017, a really bad bereavement process. It's not a mental health problem, but the things that lead to your lack of energy, your anxiety, your stress, your depression, is caused by a big event, right? So I felt that if I could talk to people who had been in the public eye and had known that they had had maybe a big impact on their life, they had to allow them to deal with certain things, if that was a positive message, then get that out. So when I started the podcast, I mean, I was so pleased. Someone like Davina. Yeah. Do you know what? I was in the spin studio and Davina goes all the time. So we said, let's do spinning. Oh my gosh, she's got some energy, I swear. And all I kept thinking, I'm going to be the Olympian here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I got up my game, you know, it's like, jeez. Because she keeps it going all the time. And I do, but I don't always push myself all the time. I go for the motion some of the time. And I was just thinking, oh, but she was brilliant. And so there was no chat during class. Oh, we were whooping and wooing like Davina does, you know. So, but, but no slacking off to have no. a little catch up. No, no, we had that after because it's really in depth, you know. Her, gosh, yeah, her journey 
you know, drugs and alcohol when she was young. It was like I was just sitting there with my mouth open. And I, as I was with so many of my, you know, interviewees, they were fascinating stories and I absolutely loved it. I love finding out about other people and getting them to really get into the nitty-gritty of how they feel, why they felt it, what happened, where are they now? I think it's so empowering if you still can say, well, I've got through it, or I'm learning to deal with it. That's still empowering. Like I do, I learn to deal with it. And is that what you're hoping then to pass on to the next generation? Because you do a lot of work with kids, both in this country, and then you're about to do another big run to support children in Malawi. Yeah. You know, even though young people these days won't have any clue who I am until I've had that moment with them where I can talk about journeys, um, having setbacks, trying to be best you can be, not necessarily having, you know, the best upbringing in life and having to fight for what you want and going your own I love that. I love seeing kids' eyes light up and the trust work that we do with um, young disadvantaged people is so empowering because we utilise sports people as their mentors trying to get the best out of them. You see the transformation. It's incredible. Probably one of the most heartwarming things to see a young kid that felt they had nothing in life transform and stand on the stage and say, my life has just begun. In Malawi, slightly different. You know, when last year with Orbis expeditions, oh my word. <laughs> Your face is really lit up. Oh, it was such a brilliant experience. Everything about it. It was so hard, so, so hard. You know, you climb up Mount Malawi. And just before, I thought, oh God, I better do some decent training. Then I had all the niggles and the backer. I was having injections and I was having osteopathy and chiropractors and needles just to get there. And then when we got there, my brain takes over. I come up that mountain, absolutely shattered. But it was about a challenge where you put yourself in a space like everybody running now. You put yourself in a space where you just go, head down, I'm going to do this. And that's how I had my attitude for that run because it was so damn hard. But part of the trip was going to orphanages, schools, and seeing those kids who have nothing, bare feet, the clothes that they've been in for a year, not food on the table at night, no lights in the building, but having that energy and passion to learn and to love running a sport. Oh my gosh. So I'm now sponsoring eight kids at a secondary school. Our team, we're sponsoring 25. So I go back in October this year, want to see the school, and secondly, to redo the challenge, which <laughs> last year was run by a kayak. This year it's one run up the mountain, trail run, and then round uh, Lake Malawi. It's going to be fascinating. We've got 30 people coming. One, I think we only need about three more to sign up now. And off three we go more. again. Yep. Wow. Anyway, three more, so give it a shout out. Yeah. Well, Guys listening in, there yeah. is three spots left. How fit do they need to be? What we're looking for is people that on a regular basis keep fit. Preferably runners because obviously uh, it's running challenges. Yeah. They've got to like, love travel, want an experience of a lifetime, are really into 
helping other people and, you know, have that sort of charity head where actually it's a giving back as well. You know, your time and your love and affection at that moment is just so special to people. And also that can get on with a group and just love the life of what running brings. It's not really about the best athletes because we all help each other, but you want to feel like you're giving yourself justice. And so how are you going to be training for it? Are you still going to be doing your crazy gym stuff? Because you did tell me that earlier on today, you were on a stepper with a 15 kilogram sandbag on your back. <laughs> I know. And the stepper saved my career so many times when I was an athlete, because when you can't run, you start getting this thing in your head like, what can I do? You know, it's, it's almost like so consuming that you're not doing your run. So I had to learn how to adapt my training so that I still use the muscle groups that I needed for running to keep strong, but with no impact. It's a cross trainer, stepper, rower, bike slightly, but very different muscle groups if you're doing it for a long time. So I used it more for CV. But a stepper, I don't know, I love it. So this morning I thought, oh, I've only got 30 minutes. Might as well make it hard. <laughs> Started 10 minutes. Whacked it up to like full height, so I was just literally going for it. Then I put it down, put the 15k power back on my shoulders, and then just did that. Fitness should be fun as well. I had a career for so long that I could never get directly straight into that mentality. That makes total sense. And in about a couple of hours' time, these guys are going to be focusing on that finish line. Do you have any tips for the final stretch? Oh, how do people pick up the pace? or just mentally break through that barrier. Those people are going to be now thinking, oh my God, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've got no energy for this. But do you know what? Like I said, sometimes when you're actually going through those things, think, do you know what? I'm doing it. Like, I'm actually doing this. Because that can just make you relax. Relax your shoulders. That's what I tell people. Relax your shoulders. Think about the form a little bit. Think about your breathing. Control your breathing back down. Think about the finish line. Watch other people. Don't run somebody else's run. Just do your own thing. If you're listening to music after this, switch it up, back in the zone. And when you're finished, have that slab of chocolate, that big G&T, pat yourself <laughs> on the back and say, I've done it. Or shout, come on! <laughs> <laughs> and that is what a way to finish this run. <laughs> Guys, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed running with such an inspiration and I hope you guys have enjoyed it and you're having a great run too yeah good luck everyone keep going keep going keep going see that is an actual message from an Olympian for you Kelly where can people catch up with you this year so obviously you've got your podcast which is on audible yes download it 30 days free or if you're a member it's for free anyway or 12.99 there's 10 uh, series and we have loads of people like Davina and uh, Alistair Campbell, Eddie Izzard, who's, oh my God, amazing, that man. Uh, Rory Bremner, loads of people. And my book, Running Life, is nice and cheap at the moment on Amazon. About £6, £6.99, called Ooh. Running Life. It's got mental health, mindset, some running sort of tips and training and nutrition as well. And yeah, look at me on my Instagram on at Dame Kelly Holmes. Um, yeah, you'll see the mad person coming out. The real person. <laughs> real person. <laughs> and it ain't all proper. <laughs> oh, right then. 
What stretches are we going to do now? Yeah. I'm looking to you. I'm telling you, calves, Achilles, back, hips. <laughs> Guys. Anything that you lot are going to be doing later. I'm with you right now. We've only done half an hour and you're out for hours, so well done you. I actually feel quite lazy right now because I know that you're going through this, so I'm very proud of everybody because I know how big that achievement is, so keep that going. Thank you so much for giving up your time today to run with me and everyone from Welfare. It has been amazing. Oh, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It's really nice to see you and chat. And guys, good luck with the rest of your run. And I hope to be back later on in the year with more podcasts for you. Thank you so much for listening to Welfare, your guide to conquering 26.2. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does make all the difference. And I and the team read absolutely everything you write, which means the world to us. Thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us. And thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show.